This is Marcus Rashford and you're watching BR Football Man. The domestic season is over in August rather than May, in a season that's been punctuated by events we never thought we'd say. Football took a backseat, and rightly so. Life takes centre stage when a silent, deadly killer rips through the planet in a rage. But slowly and surely, well controlled and one by one, teams return to their pitches, well, aside from Ligue 1. In France, they stepped aside to return, felt just not right, and PSG were named champions with no challengers in sight. The Bundesliga brought us back efficient as we'd expect. Dortmund hammered Schalke, Haaland's celebration broke the internet. But Bayern stormed to victory with win after win after win, after Kimmich chipped Berkey to Dortmund's chagrin. But give Bayern credit, perhaps the best side in the world, and Hansi Flick's winning machine flicked and turned and twirled into action every time. An unstoppable force, as invincible after lockdown as they were brilliant before the pause. In England, the tide was turning, the red wave could not be denied, and eventually Liverpool got over the line in a blaze of red scouse pride. For 30 years, they waited and waited, fingers crossed, eyes wide, breath baited. For the city, for the people, this was their time to share. For Stevie, for Sir Kenny, for the 96, not there. There is no asterisk, this is no tainted title. They're the best team in the country, it's justice, it's rightful. From the dream of the red side of a city all its own, they made that dream reality never walked alone. Marcus Rashford was on the charge with his honorary degree, reminding us what a role model is really meant to be. Drive, morals, inspiration, four million children fed. If I was a United fan, I'd be so proud that he's a red. An FA triumph for Arsenal and another League Cup for City. Pep and Arteta and the knockouts looking pretty. Silverware, though other victories would dominate the reasons from slightly heavier storylines, come to very pleasing seasons. And over in Spain, Los Blancos won a bitter title fight. And the La Liga ribbons changed from blue and red to plain white. Mercedes Benzema in cruise control. Ramos marshalling his ranks. Casemiro in the middle and Vinicius from the flanks. No Hazard for the most part. Bale a shadow. Ronaldo a long gone dream. This Madrid side need all the credit because this was a proper team. And down the road in Barca, they're a mess in every way. Spending millions on new players while they lose their DNA. And even Messi's sixth for Chichi in a 2020 year, or the emergence of little Ricky Pooch can't chase away the fear that the glory days are over, those Croyfian bonds unbinding, because even Setien, an idealist, can't get the clocks rewinding. And we finished over in Italy when Juve lifted the Scudetto high. Nine in a row, but a first for Sarri. Hard not to be happy for the guy. Fair play to Lazio, to Inter and Atalanta too. The title race as good as any, although the favourites did still come through. Five champions, five storylines, and of narratives there were plenty. That was the way it finished in the season, 1920. Well then, boys, the domestic season is over, and this is BR Football Ranks. My name is Jack Collins, and as ever, I am joined by Mr. Dean Jones, our transfer titan. Hello, mate. And the rank god himself. It's Mr. Sam Tai. Hello, mate. How you doing? Yeah, I'm, I'm okay. I mean, Fulham are playing tonight in a playoff final. By the time this is released... Uh, Fulham will either be a Premier League team or, or Brentford will. And I'm, I feel sick, frankly, Sam, it would be my, my request. Okay, fair enough. I mean, I'm feeling very well rested. I don't know about you, Dean. Yeah, I've, I'm very well rested. When we were supposed to record this podcast um, on Monday evening, which is a change from tradition, uh, but one I definitely had agreed to 
and was quite up for. Um, sadly, I fell asleep. Um, <laughs> put my two-year-old down for a sleep. Decided to just lay with him while he fell asleep and slept for an hour and a half. Um, it wasn't ideal. I mean, it was a lovely nap, don't get me wrong. But I definitely woke up in a state of panic, realising I'd left you boys just clinging on to an empty Zoom call. Um, so sorry about that, lads. Um, we've had to record like... 12 hours later. Oh, it's, uh, we'll handle it. We'll handle it. I mean, look, let's, let's start at the end, shall we? So last weekend, Serie A finished, and it was the last of the domestic leagues to finish. And, and Juventus won the title again for the ninth time in a row. I mean, it's been a quite a strange season in Serie A because it looked like we were going to have a serious title race for quite a lot of the season. And then since lockdown, things just sort of really fell away. And even Juventus not being in the best spell of form themselves, no one could really get near them, Sam. Yeah, I mean, just before lockdown, Lazio were kind of were kind of in the race and Inter had fallen away. And then after lockdown, Lazio hit an absolute wall and Inter picks things up a little bit, but it was just too much ground to catch, wasn't there? And Atalanta have been in around it. And then obviously Roma and Milan, good runs of form, but they were way off it. So in the end, it was it was only ever going to be Juventus. I think that, that felt kind of obvious, maybe from about March or something like that. I just didn't feel like everybody else had the, that champion stamina that Juventus clearly have. And yeah, same old story in the end. And we, we go into another season next season, hoping there might be some change. That's not to, to pour hate over Juventus. It's just that the same with Bayern Munich, same with PSG. We love an underdog. We love something to be different. And uh, I'll again be hoping that somebody can challenge this clear dominance from Juve, which you have to respect and you have to be impressed by. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Dean, uh, first trophy for Maurizio Sarri in his first season. He's had a fair bit of criticism this year. Things didn't necessarily always go to plan for him, but uh, eventually he got, the, got them over the line. Yeah, I remember going back to really early on in the season and I was like, oh, Sarri balls arrived in Juventus. And I think that lasted about three weeks because um, the, <laughs> the performances, uh, they weren't um, thrilling, were they, for, for much of the time. Um, but the fact is, you know, Juve whether it's pretty or not, they always found a way to get the job done. And that's what's most important when you're going for a title, especially the ninth in a row. Um, and as for Sarri, you know, he's got that that title in, in his native Italy now. Um, you know, he's like 61 years old. And um, it's been a long time coming for him. Obviously, he'd done great work in Italy before and then goes away, comes back again. And I think he, he really deserves it. I think that there's definitely been a lot of question marks over the way he's gone about it. I'm still not sure that a lot of Juve fans think that he's a good fit for, for the club. And I'm sure that there'll probably be um, talk over the summer of whether he's going to lead the club forward. But um, look, he, he's done what he set out to do. Were Juventus the team of the year? Probably not. Probably most people would prefer to watch a team like Atalanta. But the fact is that um, Juve know how to win titles. Um, it might not have been pretty, but they've done it. What I love about Sarri, guys, is that he looks really, really happy when he wins something. So like, he, for about uh, 10 months of the year, he looks like the ultimate grouch, right? He just looks like rage in a ball, that, like that chain-smoking exterior, the really grumpy outlook he has on his face, the way he just stares at people. And then when he won that Europa League medal in Baku and he was just stood there looking at it and just grinning at it. And then again with the Juventus Trophy celebrations where they're covering him in champagne and he gets his medal, he just looks like all of us would if we'd have actually won something at the highest level in football like that. It, it, it kind of it just hammers Cigarette it. Cigarette and a beer in hand. Yeah. <laughs> it just, yeah, cigarette and a beer and just gazing at this golden medal. Just, just, just so happy. And it's just that kind of that kind of joy that he wears on his face in that moment. 
it's just completely different to literally the rest of the entire year when he looks so grumpy. I just love that little bit of Sarri, just to remind you that he's actually quite human. Yeah, for sure. I mean, look, this is the Jamie Vardy story of managers, isn't it? Right from yeah. the bottom, 30 years pretty much in the, in the managerial game, from, from the very bottom all the way up to finally winning a Scudetto. And it's impossible, you know, whatever you think of him and whatever you, you think of how Juventus have played this year, it's impossible not to be a little bit happy for someone that they can come and, and make that dream come true from almost nothing. Yeah, impossible not to be happy for that. Look, not Juve's best season, 83 points. It's, it's, it's not exactly what they've been become accustomed to. Uh, we need to see if that improves in the second year with Sarri or not. But look, first and foremost, season done, objective achieved. And they're still in the Champions League. They're obviously a goal down, but we need to see what happens there. I'd still back them to get through uh, and make it to the quarterfinals. And then we'll see what happens. It could be even better. But for now, well done, Sarri. First objective achieved because Juventus is win at all costs and they've won. They have yeah. indeed. I think as well, you know, there was also the murmurs about whether he was or wasn't getting on with Cristiano Ronaldo. And I think it was obviously going to be imperative that he, he did get on with Ronaldo if Juve were going to clinch this title. Um, and, you know, what, whatever it was, Ronaldo had a really effective year in the end. And I think that I'm not saying it was his best ever season in football. It certainly wasn't. But, you know, it came into his own in the end and he, he did help get them over the line. And there was that partnership that he built with, with Dybala, which at the start of the season had been quite unlikely. If you think back to, for Dybala, like he, poor bloke was being linked with Tottenham this time last year. Um, suddenly, you know, he, he's celebrating a Scudetto uh, with Juve and, you know, that, um, that style of his is just becoming um, even better on the eye and he's even easier on the eye because, He's one of those players, you know, like Isco and these players that I purr over. You just never really see them as much as you want at their best. And I think for a long stretch of this year, at least, Dybala has been lighting up Serie A. And that's what you want to see. And it, and it was thanks to the fact, really, that he found the way to play with Ronaldo. And, you know, not only did that benefit the team, obviously... But it has benefited the player like Dybala, who's finally been able to really prove, maybe to the outside audience, if not Juve fans who already loved him, um, that he's a golden boy. He really is. He very much. He's so enjoyable to watch. I, I love Lajoya. So it's, it's one of those things where you've, you've got to be happy. And I think, yeah, it's sad to say what you want about Sarri, but he's found a way to make Dybala even more effective than he was. And especially in this post-lockdown period, he has been absolutely on fire. So, so some credit where it's due there. We're going to get on in a minute to the full rankings, the celebrations of some of the biggest awards that players crave, you know, across the game of football to be given these awards by the BR Football Ranks podcast, the ranking. It's basically the Oscars uh, of the football world. Um, but before we do, I think just a word on the FA Cup final. Dean, I'll come to you first, but it was a strange old game, wasn't it? I loved it. I thought it was brilliant. It was one of the best cup finals I've ever seen. Um, it was good, yeah. I, I, my dad said to me the day after, he goes, oh, what a, what a terrible final that was, wasn't it, without fans? I said, no, it was the best cup final I've seen, maybe in my life. Like, it was brilliant. It had absolutely everything. Um, two average teams just going at each other. They hate each other. Um, it mattered so much to both managers. Um, there was con controversy. There was brilliant moments. There were terrible moments. And I genuinely loved every single minute of it. Now, I can't remember many FA Cup finals where I've thought that. I've never seen Dean this happy in my life. 
<laughs> talking about. I'll tell you what, though, I have to, have to say, I felt a bit sorry for Neeps. That's the only thing I can say because after she slaughtered Arsenal last week on this podcast, saying she was so confident because it's Arsenal, and I mean. I don't know what I mentioned to like on the back of that defeat, but I did. I did spend just a second after saying, "Oh no, Neats, how you feel?" Oh, you set yourself up for that, don't you? I'd like to just throw our colleague Alex McGovern under the bus next. Uh, Calcio Gov, as we call him, we, we bring him on every now and then for a, uh, an update on Italy. But I did message him to ask him for uh, for just just his thoughts on the on the FA Cup final ahead of the game, and uh, <laughs> he wrote to me. Lol, mate, I have no concerns that Chelsea will lose. I'm always nervous about cup finals, but we're playing Arsenal, so I have no worries. For all their faults, Chelsea have a mentality of winning, especially with our coach, and Arsenal are the total opposite. I am not concerned, they're wank. That is what Alex McGovern wrote to me. So I'm just, a, I, I thought about just putting the screenshots on Twitter, but I thought actually maybe I'll deliver it on the podcast because he'll probably listen, and at least some of his friends will, and they'll think it's quite funny. So it's a shame when you set yourself up like that to fall, but that is what you do to yourself when you act like that, Alex. Anyway. Say what it you want, though, about uh, people saying things on the podcast or saying things before the podcast. Joel, absolutely spot on. Yeah, yeah, Pierre yeah. Emmerich threw a front flip of Bamiyang, did the business. Another two goals for him. He made the difference again, just as Joel said he would in the semi, just as Joel said he would in the final as well. It was, it did seem like a bit of a, a bit of a masterclass, which is the opposite of the, I remember right at the early part of Arteta's tenure when these two teams met, and Arsenal had the first half all to themselves and Lampard started making some tactical tweaks. And he even brought on Tariq Lamptey, who's now at Brighton, obviously, but completely shifted the game around with a change of formation. And I just thought that somewhere in the middle, in middle part of this game, because of the, obviously, the, obviously they went one nil down, but the dominance that Arsenal were showing and the overloads they were, they were putting on down the left-hand side with the Bamiyang and Maitland-Niles, Lampard's going to react. And he just never did. He never did. So yeah. Arteta rose, rose to the occasion. Sam, I want to ask you a question, actually, because I, I saw one good, really good tweet from, from um, a guy that I follow who was at um, Michigan University and I went there, there earlier in the year. And um, he's, he, he always batters Lampard for this, actually. But he said, um, it's Alvi, by the way. Hello, mate. Um, he's like, who would have thought that Frank Lampard standing on the touchline, clapping his hands and cheering his team on wouldn't be enough to outwit Mikel Arteta, who carefully came up with these tactics, basically, <laughs> to decide how to win a game. And I thought, it's quite funny that whenever a camera points to Lampard, he's just clapping his hands and saying, come on, lads. <laughs> <laughs> oh well there's always room for that that in the old school playbook of management isn't there a bit, a bit of old-fashioned encouragement um yeah I, I mean look it's not like Lampard doesn't have tactical tweaks up his sleeve it's just I think Arteta you'd see you'd see him as as the better tactical in-game manager and Lampard has already got the better of Arteta once so this is not like a one-way street battle but yeah Arteta on on the day uh, came up with a plan because obviously everyone looks at that team and they think Maitland-Niles at left wing back because against City all right, it worked, but it looked really awkward at times because Maitland-Niles doesn't have a left foot. But that wasn't the point of his role. It was to move Reese James and Azpilicueta around so that Aubameyang could get in behind. It was really clever. Um, and there was no reaction to it whatsoever, which is something for Lampard to work on. But look, he's only a year two of management, guys. Yeah, no, no, of course. And also, I think, you know, plagued by injuries. It was yeah, a, a yeah. difficult scenario. One, it's one of those things where you have all your full-strength options to bring off the bench. I think that game potentially plays out a little bit differently when, when things go wrong for Aspi, when things go wrong for Pulisic. There was, you know, it just didn't have the firepower to bring on to, to make things swing back in his own, in his own direction. And, and that's probably part of the, part of the solution. 
Yeah, probably, probably. You can't, you can't use your subs to change the game if you're constantly reacting to injuries. And that was a massive shame. Although, as Pellicuesa getting injured meant that Zuma played right centre-back and he dealt with things quite a lot better, I thought. So you sometimes you luck into these scenarios. But obviously, when you get those things taken away from you, it's tough to make those adjustments in a proactive sense. Absolutely. Right, let's move on to the Rankies, the biggest awards in football. And Sam, I'm going to come to you first on every single one of these um, because that's how we work. And then Dean's going to shoot you down, I imagine, for your opinion. So, Pan-Europe, we're going to go top five leagues, really, because otherwise things are going to get a little bit heavy in here. Uh, but let's just go straight with the first one. MVP. Yeah, I mean, I've got some, 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 some thoughts for all of these. I haven't just got just one player, so we'll have to figure it out between us. But I've identified three absolute carry jobs from midfield for MVP across the leagues. Kevin De Bruyne is one uh, at Manchester City. God knows where they would have been without him, particularly before lockdown when he was just dragging them through games. They improved defensively a lot post-lockdown. Jack Grealish pretty much single-handedly kept Aston Villa up. And Rodrigo de Paul pretty much single-handedly kept Udinese up, who are just as bad as Villa, but they have one absolute gem in midfield that can do absolutely everything. So somewhere between De Bruyne, Grealish and Rodrigo de Paul, I think the definition of MVP lies the most valuable player to that team. Two are responsible for keeping their teams in the top division and one was responsible for only keeping them about 18 points off a title chase. Okay. Uh, Dean, you got anyone else to chuck into this mix? I have, yeah. Um, Chiro Mobile. I mean, if you're talking about a player carrying a team, then this, this is where you should be looking. Um, because, I mean, I guess you do turn to, to your striker and hope that they can do that. And um, Chiro Mobile has, has more than done that, hasn't he? He's got on and he, he's won the Serie A Golden Boot, um, matched Gonzalo Higuain's record of 36 goals, it's really impressive to overshadow Juve and technically Ronaldo in a season when they've won the title. Um, but you look further than that and like Lazio scored, I think, 79 goals in Serie A. So basically Immobile scored half of their goals. Um, they got a goal difference of 37, I think, at the end of the season. So that's pretty much every single one of his goals. Uh, they've qualified for Champions League thanks to all of his goals. Um, Lazio and, and Immobile has been a really good fit. I don't know... Um, how he would do if he does, you know, make one of these transfers to the Premier League that have been spoken about for a while. I don't think it is probably a good idea. I think that Immobile, just stay where you are because you've become the most valuable player at that team, no doubt, and maybe the most valuable player in Europe, to be honest. No, I mean, we've got evidence, haven't we? Like, he's been to Germany, he's been to Spain, it didn't work out. He doesn't really seem to play that well outside of Italy. And it's not like playing for Dortmund and Sevilla is particularly tough either. Those are good teams. It's not like you join mid-table side. So, Shiro, you've got it good in Serie A. It suits your style perfectly. It that's, not, that's, not, that's not the question. No, Gene's <laughs> saying, oh, don't make a big move. Or, uh, you know, away oh, to the Premier League. Not, so, yeah, yeah don't, don't, don't do that at this point. Like, you, you've, you've found what works for you. He is obviously an extremely valuable player to the team. It's a, it's a fair shout. Yeah. Um, I've got a couple more to chuck in. Papu Gomez. Nice. Josip Ilicic, Karim Benzema. Mm. Uh, I mean, and, and probably, <laughs> there's probably a shout somewhere here for, for Robert Lewandowski, who, you know, came second <laughs> in, the, in the Golden Boot race and, um, and fired by into another title in a season which started off quite in a, in a quite topsy-turvy manner for them. I think Lewandowski was definitely the MVP for, until like Christmas. 
for yeah. Bayern because his goals were the only reason they were winning any games whatsoever. They were so dysfunctional. But then as they started to find their feet under Flick and became this machine, I feel like they got goals from everywhere. So it just devalues him a little bit in these standings. But before Christmas, I'm with, I'm with you. If, if we'd have done this at Christmas, he would have been the guy. Okay. All right. Well, well who are you going to put forward as your candidate, Sam? And then I'm going to get Deans and then I'm going to make a decision. Mm, I'm going to go for De Bruyne. De Bruyne. Dean? I was sticking with Immobile because that's just how I work. <laughs> so I grumpy sad. now. Oh, so yeah, grumpy you, now. This is it. You'd think a man who has had this much sleep would be less grumpy. <laughs> um, but, uh, but alas, alas. Um, I am sad that no one's gone for Benzema because I, I think he has been absolutely crucial to the fact that Madrid have won. But uh, I can't propose. I can only decide. So You are allowed to propose, mate. You can say Benzema. Come Kevin on. De Bruyne, MVP. Nice. Done. Right, let's move it on. Number two, standout individual performance of the season. Sam? Yeah, I was picking between Josip Ilicic's games here. It's like, which Josip Ilicic game shall I choose? Because it wasn't a case of which player, it was which one of his. Because um, there was that amazing game against Torino where he scored a hat-trick and one of them was from the halfway line. We talked about that earlier in the year on the podcast. But then he went and bettered that. He scored four goals against Valencia in the Champions League, in the round of 16, to help get Atalanta through a really helter-skelter tie uh, against Los Che into, into the quarterfinals. So Ilicic, with his, just, just the four goals for him at Mestalla, not a bad outing, uh, in front of no fans criminally, because this was the, one of the very few games that was played right between the coronavirus outbreak and the actual full lockdown. So no one really got to appreciate it in full except for the coaches, which is a massive shame, but I'm going to honour it here with that selection. Dean? Yeah, I mean, it's hard to um, task to beat that, isn't it? But uh, I've got two. One is Anthony Taylor against Chelsea. Um, <laughs> fantastic stat. If you want a standout performance, then you're not going to beat that one. Um, but if we're only talking about actual footballers, then I've got to give Trent a shout for his performance for Liverpool uh, when they battered Leicester 4-0. It, was, yeah. it feels like about three years ago, but it was this season. It was back in December. And according to who scored stats, that was the best performance of any Liverpool player in the whole season. Um, if you remember, there was, well, he got two assists and a goal. Um, there was that amazing cross, wasn't there, for Firmino uh, on his opener. Um, then the second assist, I think, as well for Firmino. And then himself, he, he scores a great goal. Um, and it was really, I mean... The articles that were written on the back of that performance was basically all about how how Trent has just transcended that position of, of um, right back and of what other players need to do to play in that position going forward. Um, it was just a real, it, a genuine standout performance by <laughs> by the style of it. Um, so have to throw it in there for you. Yeah, it's a fair shout. That is a yeah. fair shout. Very, very good. Uh, in one, in one that kind of flips backwards in in that in, in Liverpool, I would suggest maybe Ismail Assar versus Liverpool oh. for mm. Watford, who basically single-handedly ended an Invincibles campaign um, by basically yeah. just go going. And also, I will throw in my first and probably only better shout for today, really, uh, Nabil Fekir against Real Madrid, oh. where Betis were just. I don't know what happened, but he just went back into Merlin mode and really did, you know, inspire a side that had been quite poor for, for most of the season to just, 
you know, completely and utterly batter the champions. It was, you know, ended 2-1, but I had no doubt at all the betters were going to win the game at really kind of any point in the entire fixture. And I think it was basically because Nabil Fekir was just beating people for fun. It was, yeah. it was, he was having a laugh over on the left wing. So they would be the ones that I would add to the mix. Nice. Um, That's what. Tough one, yeah, for sure. Um, I, I think it's hard to look past Ilicic. Um, I agree. It, I it's, a, yeah. it's a Champions League knockout tie. And that's, I think, the crucial element here. You know, you're looking at a game in, in a high pressure, in a weird situation as well, because, because of the whole uh, outbreak and, and the pandemic and all of the things that were kind of on the horizon at that point. It was very much uncertain times and Ilicic just ignored all that and then dropped an absolute straight 10 out of 10. Yeah, it was, yeah. Tens are hard to get. I mean, yeah, as a football reporter, they, they don't really do ratings too much anymore because a lot of the time they're absolute nonsense. Um, but sometimes it is just worth noting a, a 10 out of 10 performance because they're hard to come by and it's usually messy if there is one. Uh, but yeah, Illicic, definitely a 10 out of 10 on that one. Yeah, well, I think, was it, was it Dusan Tadic who dropped a 10 out of 10 last year in the Champions League? Against Real Madrid away. Yeah, uh, he was a, a, a straight ten out of ten. Yeah, they're rare. Uh, they are rare. Congratulations to uh, Josip Ilicic. It's a a trophy for him. And we move on to signing of the. Them, mate. How are we going to work this? Because last year, obviously, we had an office and we had people who could help us send out the awards. Um, and everyone, they, they were all gratefully received. I remember, and they all posted yeah. about them on their Instagram pages and everything. Um, so, how will we be sending these out this year? Um, I'm not sure yet. Um, it's, it's, it's the problem is that our goldsmiths are closed. You know, the, yeah. uh, the people who wrought the awards out of 24 karat gold. Um, yes. they, are, they are currently shut. So uh, I'm working with, to try and find a new supplier for the, uh, the Rankies Awards. Dino, how's, um, how's Dylan's paper mache skills or Play-Doh skills? Oh, poor. He really is. One of, one of the areas that I'm worried about his development is Play-Doh. Um, he just throws it. Okay. He just throws it. <laughs> Fair enough. And he mixes up the colours as well, which you know. And then it all becomes that kind of dirty grey colour. Exactly. I, uh, I, I remember it well. <laughs> right, let's move on to signing of the season. Uh, Sam, your contenders, please. Yeah, I've got a couple from the summer, and then I've got a couple from the winter as well. Um, so start with the summer. I think Marcus Turam for 12 million euros to Gladbach has proven to be a bit of a steal, wouldn't you say? Just a bit of a steal. Um, came very close to 20 goals and assists uh, combined in the Bundesliga, 10 and 8. He was, he was consistently brilliant, made the difference, and Gladbach got into the Champions League. He is a player that they need to build around for sure. And then uh, a real emergence in midfield for Milan, Ismail Benassa, who was about 16 million euros with a few bonuses. Remarkable that you know, more people didn't go in for Benassa because he, he won the award for the best individual player at the uh, Africa Cup of Nations that summer for Algeria when Algeria won it uh, and then walked back into Empoli and was, was picked up by Milan. And his performances over the course of the season, man, they're just like, he's a top-tier central midfielder. He is brilliant. So those are my summer guys. And then in the, in the, in the winter, I mean, the impact is more obvious, isn't it? Erling Haaland for Dortmund. Scores a goal every four and a half seconds. And then Ibrahimovic, who actually kind of matched him at that rate. I mean, what a signing he has been. Um, the impact he's made, just not just in the goals, but the mentality of the team, uh, the professionalism levels have risen. Everything about Milan, the, the veneer, the shine, uh, that is at least partially down to his mid-season arrival and transformation of the team. So Turan, Benassa, Haaland, Ibrahimovic, all absolutely amazing this season. Okay, Dino? 
I mean, I'm going to have to throw Bruno Fernandes into the mix I here. I thought you might. Well, as I've said before on here, you know, it's very rare that you see one player come in and completely transform a team season um, midway through. And obviously, like, like Haaland is difficult to look past in terms of impact and, and taking to a new league. Um, but Bruno Fernandes, you know, 14 games in the Premier League, eight goals, seven assists. Um, started every game since he made his debut in February and didn't lose any of them. Um, you know, the only game he lost in the end was the, the semi-final against Chelsea. He changed everything about the club, the mentality, the confidence, um, built relationships very quickly with it, with everyone inside the squad and, and the fans especially took to him. It's very hard to do that, especially at a time um, at a big club when things just hadn't been going well. He has just brought a new freshness to the club. And I think that he's genuinely changing the way that they're going to be able to build from here on. So I think that Fernandez for transforming the club has to get a mention. Yeah. I mean, it's a weird one. I think there's no doubt that Bruno should be in there. The, the one I would potentially have thrown in is Christian Pulisic, but actually it's very hard to decide if he's actually a new signing this season or not because yeah. of the way that, that transfer played out. I think he does count because I believe that last year when we were having this conversation, we said that we couldn't include signings from January who hadn't played yet. Um, so there are, there are, there is precedent here. Um, so I would suggest that Christian Pulisic should be in the mix because I think that he has been kind of a revelation at Chelsea and actually without him in the side they look far more toothless and he he is showing signs that he is gonna just be world class isn't he he's absolutely on his way to the very top and there was a lot of doubt about him especially Chelsea fans that hadn't seen much of him I think a lot, a lot of them thought he might be just a gimmick signing because he was American and his early performances didn't help and then Lampard left him out for a bit and and you, there was some concern, but it just turned out that Lampard decided he really needed a bit of time um, to just, you know, get used to being in England and stuff and watch a lot of the Premier League firsthand and then try and watch games and see what he would do to influence matches. And, you know, second half of the season, particularly, you know, the last few months, Pulisic has been absolutely unreal. And you'd imagine if he's fully fit at the start of next season, which is only about a month away, um, going to be one of the first names on that team shoot. I think what kind of doomed Pulisic a little bit here, and this is this is a damning indictment on the way the way we look at the work at players or the, the public look at players. I, I the big criticism or the big worry I saw from Chelsea fans when they signed Pulisic for quite a lot of money, let's not let's not get confused. He was a lot of money, 55, 60 million quid. They looked at his goals and assists record, and it's not that good at Dortmund, you know, like four goals, four assists, four goals, five assists, three goals, six assists in his three full seasons. They look at that and they try and like they're trying to tally it up. How does that make him a player of this quality, of this price. Yeah. And it's, Pudisic is a lesson in, in off-the-ball movement, in direct runs, in ability to generate momentum in attacks and, and very, very cleverly picking where he moves next and the positions he ends up in. And then the Premier League has obviously already pretty much doubled those, um, those goal tallies for the season. He's on nine for the season, isn't it? Yeah, nine for the season. So he's done extremely well. He's up that production. But the worry was that the stats didn't make him look that good. But he is one of those lessons in watching movement and understanding why he's so clever. Okay, right. Let's wrap this one up. Who do you think, Sam, is the signing of the season? I thought you got to decide that. Yeah, but you have to pick one. Oh, one of my four? Yeah. Oh, but I didn't want... Um, <clears throat> well, look, I appreciate the case of Bruno. It's a good one. But I think Haaland, Haaland was, was obviously like a third of the price and had just as much of an impact so I think I'd go for Haaland Dean you're going to stick with Bruno 
Well, no, I mean, I can't really beat Haaland because, as Sam just summed it up there, and also the fact that potentially they've signed one of the best players in the world over the next 10 years. And I think that, you know, the only concern you'd have had over Haaland signing is like if he didn't hit the ground running and was, and was struggling for confidence, that hasn't happened. So, um, yeah, it's Haaland, absolutely. So the signing of the season, 2019-20, Ranky goes to... Dortmund's new number nine, Erling Haaland. It's a, uh, a, well, a well-earned prize for him. And, and just another one to add to his collection, really. He can put, he can put the ranky up with all of his match balls yeah. uh, for, for yeah. hat-tricks, which he sleeps He's with. He's a big fan of the pod as well, so he'll be, he'll be delighted. Does love the pod. Does love the pod. Right, we'll be back with the last four rankies after the break. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to BR Football Ranks. My name is Jack Collins. I'm still joined by Mr. Sam Tsai. Yes, mate. And Mr. Dean Jones. Hello. We are mid-rankies, I think. I hope that you've uh, gone and got yourself a drink. Uh, you're enjoying the ceremony, the bubbles, the, uh, the live action, all of the, the fun nominations that we're working through here. Oh, and this glad. one is special. This is probably my favorite award, I think, that we give out every year. And it's, uh, it's rankie number four, kit of the season. Now, Sam, I know you've got a favorite here, but I have loads. Yeah, I do. I do. I mean initially when I see this kind of category, I'm like, oh my God, here we go. I've got to think about all the kits. But then usually one springs to mind immediately. And this year it's super niche. It's the Fortuna Dusseldorf uh, fourth shirt. <laughs> I'm sure you've all seen it. Uh, no need to explain what it is. Now, when I went to uh, Dusseldorf against Cologne uh, back at the end of last year on, on the media trip, uh, they had them all in glass, glass cabinets, all the different shirts. And this one was quite special. It's like an homage to a band that has been synonymous with Fortuna Dusseldorf for, for like 20 or 30 years and they used to be members and they used to help them out with money and things like that. They had a real relationship. It's black and red and it's, uh, it's, it's hoops across the front and then it's got a skull and crossbones in front of a star in the middle. And it looks, it looks like probably if you looked at it at first glance, you'd think it would be St. Pauli's kit. The, the hipster club from, from Hamburg, but it's actually Dusseldorf and moving in on their territory there. It looks sublime. Uh, I'd recommend you go and have a look on Google. Fortuna Dusseldorf, fourth kit, black and red with a skull and crossbones. That's my nomination. Nice. Now, Dean, who are you throwing into the mix? I'm not, mate. You're not? I'm not no. Um, I just don't care, really. Um, <laughs> I, I just don't care. I don't think... <laughs> yeah, I, I thought about it, and then I realised I was just putting energy into something I just didn't care about. So I'm just going to let you two crack on with this one. Rather, okay. take, a, rather take a nap, Dean, than pick a kid. <laughs> My thinking side was taken up with a nap instead. Yeah, <laughs> Yeah. no, I mean, I can understand it. I mean, the first one I think I've got to throw into the mix is Roma's away shirt, although it very much could have been Roma's third shirt, the blue. But the Roma away with the lightning bolts down the middle, um, I think is an absolute yeah. stunner. Uh, Inter Milan away shirt with the aquamarine, with the kind of gold and black tips, I think is beautiful. Uh, there's, there's a couple there's obviously a shout for Arsenal's bruised banana um, mm. but I think actually my favourite kit of the season is a Kappa number uh, Monaco's black and gold away which is an absolute stunner and if you haven't seen it just go and look it up it, it's, it's just perfect and uh, I, I mean hold on, uh, Sam hold you on. can try oh Dean's got a mixer go on I thought of one that I like go I on. like the Inter Milan green away kit yeah that's what I said so he just said that <laughs> <laughs> is that your vote then yeah <laughs> <laughs> i might have to give it to inter 
That's yeah, two that votes is, for the same yeah. kit. No, that genuinely is. Um, that is <laughs> and I did have a, a brief thought uh, yesterday. That one did cross my mind. And so I thought I'd just pretend that I came up with it there. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Right. Well, uh, by, by, by proxy then. The, uh, the ranking for the best kit of the season goes to Inter Milan's away kit, the Aquamarine. It's really, really pretty. Um, so, so there you have it. Although, do go and check out the Dusseldorf and the Monaco away kits as well because uh, it's, it's, they're very, very nice. And uh, well done, kit suppliers, as, uh, as ever, for, for making nice shirts. I'm pleased for Kappa because they don't usually get a mention in these kind of things because their work isn't that great. So well done, Kappa, for once. <laughs> yeah, Kappa have, uh, Kappa have made it in. They're happy. Right, moving on. Breakthrough player. Sam, who you got? I've got a three-way tussle. Let's do it. It's uh, Mason Greenwood versus Bukayo Saka versus Alfonso Davies. Oh, my God. That is too difficult. <laughs> I know. Can we just chop the ranking into three and just give him, give him a third? I, I don't know. I mean, Greenwood's, uh, you know, basically pushing 20 goals for the season, filtered in on the, on the right-hand side and scores with both feet. Has absolutely thrilled us with his powerful shots. Bukayo Saka's played 155 positions this year and has looked brilliant in each and every single one of them. The impact he's had on a team that has been in complete turmoil, considering how how young he is. He's 18 years of age and he looks about 12 as well. So it's all the more impressive to see him holding his own and holding his nerve. And then Alfonso Davies, the new elite left back of world football, who, you know, literally about eight months ago was uh, fifth on the, on the depth chart for uh, a wing spot at Bayern Munich and didn't want to play fullback, but just developed over the course of three months and is now one of the very best five in his possession, I would say. So I think given the height he's already reached, I would say Davies is my pick, but I have to have to pay my respects to what Greenwood and Saka have managed to do in intense circumstances, in difficult circumstances, in a high-pressure environment at some of the biggest clubs in England. That is not an easy breakthrough to make, and they've done it. Absolutely. Dino, who are you going for out of these three? It is so difficult without doubt. Um, Mason Greenwood is amazing, um, but I'm not going to pick him just because he'd been hyped up before and he's been hyped up for a few years. Like it's not really a surprise that Mason Greenwood is, is this good. So like <laughs> that's kind of going against his, him for me. Um, so Mason Greenwood is brilliant, but he's in third. Um, second, I'm going to go Saka just because he hasn't played basically as much as Alfonso Davis has. And he hasn't made the same level of breakthrough as Davis has, who has come kind of out of nowhere to become the level of player that he is. I mean, if you were to pick a team of the year, he would he would have to be in it for whoever, wherever you were looking at this from, whichever country you generally watch your football from, you would know of Alfonso Davis this season. He was impossible to miss uh, because even if you don't watch Bayern Munich, his clips were constantly on Twitter. People were always retweeting stuff about him. Um, he was a top guy, obviously. We got to know him. He's a friend of the rank squad. I can not ignore him. Uh, it has to be Alfonso Davis, doesn't it? Yeah, I think it probably does. Shouts out to the Ealing Eusebio Bakayo Saka. Uh, shouts out to the man who, if he continues this scoring rate, will be the greatest finisher in history, Mason Greenwood. Yeah. Um, I think they are two unbelievable shouts. And uh, I can't wait to see both of them continue to excel and continue to get better. But... I don't think you can ignore what, what Davis has done at, on, on a level across the Bundesliga, but also in the Champions League. He just looks so comfortable, like straight away. And it, his, 
you know, on top of being a friend of the squad, on top of being a lovely man, I know this is something that, that will, will make him very happy and, and hopefully he'll do a TikTok about it. So, <laughs> so we'll, uh, we'll give the, uh, the ranky for breakthrough player of 2019-20 to our friend, Alfonso Davis. Oh, yes. I mean, quick note on that, because Erling Haaland is prob- probably eligible for that, but I didn't want to just go into Haaland again. thinking Ooh, that, yeah. Yeah. Ha- Haaland's got a ranky. Very, very rarely does someone win two rankies. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. tough. It's tough. These are these are a, a big awards ceremony. People, you know, you can't you can't take them lightly. Winning one is is prize enough. You see how much the tickets are going for on the black market in the I end. I know, I know. I'm really sad that no one could actually go. I know. I hope they're all having their champagne at home. Me right, too. number number six surprise of the year. Sam, into you. Yeah, I feel like this is a bit obvious, but I mean, you have to you have to look at Sheffield United here. Um, those of us that didn't predict them to go straight back down again, uh, that's myself included, had them at about 17th in the league. I thought that Sheffield United's kind of quirky style, tactical style, you know, overlapping centre-backs, but mostly overloads in the wide areas and a variety of ways that they can attack with their different strikers. They've got a ridiculous profile of different forwards that they can use to confuse people. That usually gets you about four months through the Premier League season where you just take everyone by surprise because opposing teams and managers are unbelievably slow to realise what is happening around them. Do you remember when Leicester counterattacked everybody to win the league? And it was only in about February that we're like, people were like, crap, should we stay back and not let Jamie Vardy run in behind us? It took them so long. So I thought Sheffield United will get enough in the tank here. They'll rise up to like eighth or ninth at Christmas and then they'll drop back down and they'll just about survive. Well, they actually ended up finishing ninth and they were in the running for a European spot all the way up until game week 36. And this is a team that, you know, they did spend a bit in the summer, but not as much as the other, as another Premier League uh, promoted club and not as much as most teams. They did it on hard work and graft and, and tactical ingenuity. And no one really knew who Lundstrom was before the season started. But within two weeks, he was in everyone's fantasy team because the way they break their midfielders forward and get into the box, it's just a joy to watch. It carried on for a long time. And I hope it continues to happen because Sheffield United thrilled me this year. Yeah, I mean, I, I put them 12th in my preseason predictions. Um, not bad, not bad. She isn't bad at all. I mean, look, I got loads of other things wrong, so I'm not going to go back into those predictions too much. But <laughs> I was, was quietly confident that Chris Wilder could kind of just oversee Sheffield United becoming a, a very decent Premier League team. They've exceeded even that expectation. Um, and I think without the break, then Sheffield United might have actually nabbed the European spot. I don't, th- I don't think the break was good for a team who were running on momentum and, and kind of gas in and that And crowd as well, crowd energy. They were absolutely horrendous for the first two games back from lockdown. The worst I saw outside of Bournemouth. And it was such a shame that their momentum, as you say, was curtailed like that. Yeah, absolutely. Dean, who have you got in the mix here? Um, I mean, it's very hard to, to beat Sheffield United, uh, obviously. I, th- I think maybe Atalanta deserve a mention just because even though we knew they were going to be pretty decent, I don't think you expected them to m- make the kind of impact they have, obviously, in the Champions League. Um, that's a hell of a, an achievement to, to still be there and and um, to have hopes of, of maybe even going further. They scored the most goals in Serie A. They scored the most goals from open play in Serie A. They're the most entertaining team in Serie A. Um, you know, at times the most entertaining team in, in the whole of Europe. So I, I've got to think, just give them a special mention. I'm not sure that they will have enough to beat Sheffield United as a surprise, but 
it is a surprise that they've been quite as good as they have. I think what I'd say about Atalanta, I'm not surprised that they were they were excellent, you know, this season because they qualified for the Champions League last season. I am surprised that they managed to make it out of their Champions League group, having yeah. lost their first three games. That was unbelievable. Yeah, that was enjoyable. Four, four nil away to Dinamo Zagreb, and then two one to Shakhtar, and then five one loss to Man City. So what's that goal difference? That is a minus nine goal difference, zero points after three games. Then they draw, then they win, then they win, then they get past Valencia, and now they've got PSG. How the hell did they get out of that? That is incredible. <laughs> yeah. I, I just sticking in Serie A for a minute, um, Lazio in 2018-19 finished eighth, and were just miles off the pace. And this year, were until the, the, the kind of season was broken up, very much the challenges to Juventus. And went a long, long time without losing a game domestically. I mean, they didn't perform in, in Europe. They were, they were quite poor in the Europa League. And, but on the whole, I would suggest that Lazio probably a, a shout here because their overachievements in, in many ways down to that kind of cohesion, that team spirit and, and, and a real kind of drive and desire. And actually, you look at the, whole, the season as a whole, I think their, their achievements have to be lauded. Yeah, I think yeah. so too. What about, um, a special mention for Barcelona? They were quite surprising, weren't they? <laughs> um, quite how bad they were. So, uh, yeah. We're coming yeah, on to, we're coming we're coming on to... Flops next, next, the last of the rankings. Um, I would like to give a shout, Sam, and I, I appreciate how you haven't done this, to, to Euro Granada. Yeah, I mean, I didn't want to toot my own horn, but uh, we got into Europe! Yeah, I actually yeah, think that's yeah. probably maybe the, the most incredible achievement of the lot. Um, probably... Even with, yeah, the bu- budgetary constraints uh, considered, I mean, Granada's task of finishing seventh in La Liga is, is probably more impressive than, than Sheffield United's having been able to spend a bit more money. Uh, Granada were just kind of made up of, like, again, loan deals and, and just, like, hard-working Segunda players that made that, that step up. Um, yeah, maybe. I, saw, I think I just sort of overlooked them because I was obviously looking for that different angle. But I'm still yeah. sticking with Sheffield United. But I'm perfectly happy for you to nominate my beloved Granada. No, I, I very much am. I think surprise of the year. To, for, for Granada to, to overcome the teams they did to nab that last European spot, mm. uh, given the circumstances, given the budget, given where they came from, I think it, most probably the most incredible story of the year across the top five, I would say. Yeah, I have to say, I... I hadn't thought of that and now I'm thinking back to it and especially like the celebrations for them like they looked so so happy when they clinched that and yeah look I, I do I like watching Granada not really to be honest uh, but that doesn't I think anyone matter. really like, likes watching Granada yeah that doesn't matter They're like they are they are achieving things and, and that is a massive surprise so yeah maybe it's Granada there we are. The Ranky Four surprise of the season 2019-20 goes to Sam's beloved Euro Granada. Woo! Not even well, nominated by Sam Ty, but, uh, but there you being, have it. I was being modest. Surprise inclusion and winner. Yeah, they're out <laughs> of nowhere. They've really come from the back of the field there, haven't they? Right at the death, having none of it. Okay, we come on to uh, my least favourite Ranky uh, and the last of the Rankies. Uh, flop of the year. Um, Sam, I'm going I'm to... renaming it, lads. I'm renaming it. Go on. It's Melon of the Year, isn't it? <laughs> it can't be Melon of the Year. <laughs> I defer to a, a Melon power far superior to my own. In which case, Dean Jones, you get first dibs. Melon of the Year. Wow. I mean, Joel Linton yeah. is so bad that it is now acceptable to just refer to him as the Sunday League player from Tyneside, Joe Linton. Um, because you wouldn't know if this lad just rocked up in a park 
and played up front for you, um, you'd be like, who's the, whose mate is he? Um, I thought he would do all right at Newcastle, I have to say. And I'd, I'd, heard, I'd spoken to a couple of people that um, had scouted him before and they spoke reasonably well of him. They thought he'd adapt to English football pretty well. He hasn't, has he? I mean, Sam, surely, surely Joe Linton uh, was on your list. Yeah, I mean, I, I've got a couple of nominees here. Joe, Joe Linton is one of them, as I now have to call him, apparently. I do object to the idea that he's a terrible footballer. I yeah, think me too. Re- I think he's been really, really badly misused. And um, I d- like he very, very rarely played up front as the central striker for Hoffenheim. He played... Yeah, do, you remember, do you remember when we had a roulette question once and it was like, how if you were to play in an entire Premier League season, how many goals would you score? And I think you both fancied yourself to score more goals than he's actually managed <laughs> yeah i know i know two is not great i mean it all sort of built up you know what you know what it's like for strikers when you miss a couple of chances and it get it becomes a thing look at shea adams at the end of the season for Southampton. like he missed loads of sitters hit the post like three times in the first like five games or something like that and then it just it just it snowballs and then at the end it clicked for him finally and he got like four and six so let's hope that mr linton can can manage the same thing next season i think he's been misused by bruce and newcastle i feel a little bit sorry for him but at the end of the day i think he's the strongest shout because he played in all 38 games it's not like he wasn't given you know minutes and chances whereas a lot of the other players that you might look at here were injured for half the season had difficulty getting into the team, weren't trusted by their manager. Mr. Linton got 38 games, 32 starts and six, uh, six sub-appearances, two That's goals, two assists. That's unbelievable. That is two, unbelievable. The two Premier League goals he scored were 10, 10 months apart. It's unbelievable. The only possible shout I can give you here as an opposition to Mr. Linton is Dr- Danny Drinkwater. Kate went, went to Villa on loan in January, supposedly to replace John McGinn's energy and bustle in midfield. He got Melon of the Week on his debut against Manchester City and then at a certain point is reported to have headbutted one of his fellow colleagues in training and was excluded from the squad for a couple of weeks. Barely played at all, cost a lot in wages, was an absolute disaster. But still, in terms of investment and opportunities given, Joel Linton, I think. Yeah, I think, unfortunately, Mr. Joe Linton is is this year's Melon of the Year. Um, I, I do think he might be able to come back from this. Uh, and I hope that this, this award will make him stronger mm, as, as so. a general kind of point. Yeah, there, there's lots to be said about how he's been misused. But you're, you're absolutely right, Sam. You, know, you, you expect more from, from a player who who has that price tag on him and, and that's not his fault that he's got that price tag on him that's that's the clubs that have made the decision to, to buy him for that amount but you know, when, it's like 40 million, 40 million. Yeah. when all said and done you, you know you need someone to to be putting the ball in the back of the net and and you look at Dwight Gale who came in in the last couple of games and just bagged a couple of goals and you're like all oh, right <laughs> okay there <laughs> are opportunities for the striker to score goals at Newcastle it just just wasn't to be for Joe Linton. So yeah. I'm interested to see if he can play thing. differently. Michael Hogg, who uh, worked for Bleacher Report and played it for Newcastle as a kid. If you gave him 36 games for this Newcastle team up front, he'd have scored more than two goals. I can guarantee you that. <laughs> yeah, he's a local lad, though. They loved him. They loved <laughs> yeah. him. Um, and that concludes the rankings uh, for this season. And... That's pretty much it for, for this episode. Boys, uh, the domestic season, how have you found it as a whole? Obviously, it's been very weird, uh, very, a season unlike any other. But uh, any standout moments for you, just as a kind of general closing thoughts? It was so long, wasn't it? It's been such a... I didn't think... I'd forgotten that seasons were allowed to end. Um, it well, they're not. A year ago. 
Literally. Se- seasons don't end. We literally are about to walk into the Champions League and then three weeks' time, like all the seasons begin. The Scottish Premier League began last week. Actually, yeah. a, a really interesting fact I saw, Rangers played Aberdeen on Saturday in the first game of the 2020-21 season. But next week, they play... Uh, they play Leverkusen in the 2019-20 season in the Europa oh, League. Oh, I like that. Jesus. I like that. See, so that's how n- weird this has been. They never, yeah. never end. It's, I hit a point of exhaustion at some point early in July and um, watched a bit less football, got back into it for the last couple of weeks of the Premier League season. And I'm now feeling like I'm, I'm ready to hit August head on. Jack, we need to do a couple more commentaries. We need to get yeah. back on the hot mic. Uh, get ourselves sorted on that. We, we, we did a month. We took a month, and now we're going to go. I think we should hit. I, we should hit the Europa League and Champions League hard. I've got the notebook ready, my friend. Yeah, I mean, I'm excited to get the uh, the pad and paper out again and start really, really pushing some commentary. So, yeah. we're uh, we're excited to get back on hot mic. We're excited for the Champions League. Next week is going to be a Champions League Europa League special, uh, where we focus on the tournament as a whole. It'll be very nearly time for the quarter final ties, and we're excited about getting properly into it and getting stuck into what's going to be a very different but you'd imagine very exciting Champions League Europa League this kind of knockout straight format feels a bit world cuppy in in many ways that that's going to be fun isn't it Sam it's I'm really excited for it I just I really really wish I could be on the ground for those couple weeks when that sort of thing's happening because what 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 a spectacle that's going to be you're right you've summed it up really well it feels world cuppy and in a, in a summer where we were robbed of an international tournament I feel like it's a bit of justice at play we get we get our, our single format knockout tournament one way or the other absolutely Dean you excited yeah, I mean, it's a little bit MLS is back, isn't it? I mean, they're having a tournament out there and kind of just like on a training on training pitches, basically, um, and just putting some stuff around it and around the pitch to to make it seem um, like they're doing something different and it's not in proper stadiums and stuff. But I've actually really enjoyed MLS's back tournament and I thought I would hate that. So the fact I'm looking forward to the Champions League coming back means I'm going to love it. Um, no idea who's going to win it at this stage. I've got to say, I, I don't. It's going to be an interesting show next week because what do you do? You got Bayern who were brilliant, but their season finished about four months ago. Um, you got Juventus who just won the league like last weekend, so maybe they've got some momentum. Um, I honestly don't know what's going to happen, but it, it's going to be crazy. There's going to be some massive stories coming out of it. Absolutely. And we will be talking through all of those things on next week's BR Football Ranks. We hope that you've enjoyed today's rankings and this domestic season as a whole. Uh, We'll be back as ever to to give you the best of Champions League and straight back into next season. There is no rest for the rank squad. Last year, after we came back from America, we had a little bit of respite. There was, you know, we had a couple of weeks where neither of these two were here. That isn't happening this year. That isn't happening this year. We're going straight through into 2020-21. My name has been Jack Collins. I'd just like to say thank you to Dean Jones. Cheers, mate. Thank you very much to Sam Tai. Thank you, mate. It's been all sorts of fun. The rankings are given out for 2019-20 in the weirdest of seasons. Thanks for listening. Keep sharing ranks with your friends and family. We really do appreciate it. We'll see you soon. Take care.